Good morning, Brookside. Thank you so much for being here today, guys. I just have a, a quick question. Uh, how many of y'all are in for a Super Bowl party in here now? Yeah. Amen, right? Pay for whatever licenses we need to. I do have several thank yous that I need to offer right up front. Um, if you are newer to Brookside, you may not be clear of the story of what's going on. Early last year, we had uh, a creature in this world, they're very, very evil creatures. You might be aware of them, they're called squirrels. Uh, they got into our transformer, blew everything up, turned the lights off, and then when we fixed everything, we realized one of our projectors was shot. We thought, well, let's just replace the projector. The projector was so old, they didn't make them anymore. So we thought, well, let's just buy a newer one. Well, the problem is the experience on this screen and on that screen would be way different. So let's just buy two new projectors. Well, now we need to do some construction because the old screens were built in like 1941 and they were the square screens, you know, and so now it's widescreen, so we gotta do new construction, new screens, and all of a sudden the costs begin to go and go and go. And we thought, you know what, let's think outside of the box. Let's get something that will set us up for the future. And so the LED screen was born and then we made a request of you. We say, hey, listen, it's not in the budget right now, but would you be willing to give and support this vision? And so you gave, and so we purchased. And my first person I wanna thank is you for your generosity and allowing us to accomplish some visionary goals that we have. And so I want you to know that on behalf of myself, the staff, and all of the elders, thank you so much. Would you celebrate yourself for what you did and for allowing this to happen? We really do appreciate it, but there's more people I need to thank. I need to thank, first of all, the Elder Board for seeing the vision, for supporting it, and for making it happen. So thank you, Elder Board. Would you say thank you to your Elder Board for being such a visionary team that loves to move the gospel forward. I also wanna say thank you to so many volunteers who this week came in Monday through Friday all day long to get this thing set up. Would you say thank you to the volunteers that showed up every single day to to give of their time and their skills, but I really want to draw a lot of attention to two particular people. Uh, pastor David, your worship pastor, and Dustin Wagner, your communications director, who not only had the vision, but had the know-how and the skills to put all this together. Thank you so much to all of them that did that. Would you say thank you to them uh, for that? So we appreciate your generosity, church, and uh, we look forward to um, Super Bowl parties. That's what I'm excited about. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two if you have them. If you have your iPad or your smartphone, just navigate there, Philippians chapter two. Now when Paul uh, writes this letter to the Philippian church, he does so with a very particular theme in mind. It's simply that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, there's a joy that you can have regardless of the circumstances you're living in right now. Now I know that's hard for us a lot, that's hard for some of us to take because the circumstances we're in right now are in no way producive of joy. There's no way I can have joy in these kind of circumstances. So you might say, Paul, how can you tell me to have joy even though I'm a Christian in the midst of these circumstances because how do you have the audacity to know me that well? You don't know me. You don't know my situation. And I can understand the resistance to hearing Paul say that in the book of Philippians, but if you'll understand something, you might understand why he can say this. And the reason I believe him is because he's writing this letter from a Roman prison cell, which he doesn't know if he'll survive. And even in that kind of a scenario, with the circumstances being dark, cold, dungy dungeon, in chapter four of Philippians, he still says this, I have learned the secret of being content and joyful in every situation, in every circumstance. And I began to ask the question, Paul, how can you say that given the circumstance you're in right now? How can you still say you're content and joyful now? 
And so then I went back to chapter one and I found a glimpse of why he can say this. He'll say this in chapter one. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he means by that is if he doesn't survive this prison cell, the next thing he'll see is the face of Jesus and he'll enjoy all of eternity with Jesus, the fulfillment and fruit of his, infa- of his faith for all of eternity. But if he survives it, he still has breath in his lungs to continue preaching the gospel and see more people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So here's what I've discovered. The reason Paul can say he's content and full of joy, regardless of his circumstance, is because he has a relationship with Jesus that is unmovable and clarity on his purpose for why he's here. Now, that's important for us to understand because a lot of us, I would hope, in this room, have a relationship with Jesus that cannot be moved. Nobody can snatch you away from the love of God. And I'm hoping that you're clear on your purpose, that as a follower of Jesus, you are here to spread the word of God. I'm not saying you gotta get on stage and speak it. What I'm saying is you are called to walk with Jesus in this life and live by faith. So relationship with Jesus, clarity of purpose, boom, you've got your joy regardless of your circumstances. But you can imagine my surprise when I start reading chapter two where you're at right now, And I hear Paul say something that surprises me, confuses me, actually. He'll say, actually, that his joy isn't complete. And I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have been trained my entire life to believe that all I need as a follower of Jesus, regardless of my circumstances, for joy is a relationship with Jesus and clarity on my purpose. But Paul just says in chapter 2 that his joy isn't complete. See if you can spot it. It's on the screen. Here's what he says. There it is. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, stop. That's what you get with the relationship with Jesus. That's what you get the moment you're putting faith in him and then over the course of your lifetime, that becomes more and more true of your life. But then watch what he says, complete my joy. In other words, it's not right now complete. How does that even work? Well, keep reading by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. By the way, do you want to hear a pastor joke? What is the most holy car you can buy? Do you know this? If you know it, tell me. It's a Honda Accord. Why? Because all the believers were in one. Oh my goodness, come on. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not very good at pastor's jokes. You got to laugh at them when I give them to you, Okay. <laughs> What did I just hear Paul say? His joy won't be complete until the church is unified. How do you get to be unified with the church? How do you have the same mind? Does that mean that you have to agree on everything? In fact, that's actually one way I thought you could be unified. I've thought of two ways that you can find unity with people. The first way is that you agree on everything. I'm not, I'm not just talking about spiritually agreeing on your theology and doctrine. I mean, I hope that you agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but that's not all I'm talking about. I'm talking about your interpretation of Scripture. Do you agree with me on that? I'm talking about your interpretation of the gray areas of Scripture. Do you agree with me on that? But it's not just spirituality. I think we need to agree politically, too. I certainly hope you all vote the way that I vote. And it's not just that. It's on educational value, too. I certainly hope that you're putting your kids through an educational system that I put my kids through. We need to agree on this, but it's more than that. We need to agree on values. We need to agree on hobbies, on where to vacation. We need to fully agree on everything. So I, I want to do a simple test. I want to know if you and I are in agreement fully. So quick questions, kind of a prime the pump kind of question. How many of you, by a show of hands, 
Purdue basketball is your favorite basketball team. Let me see your hands. That's amazing. So many of you didn't raise your hand. This is a problem. Hmm, this might not work out. Okay, let me, let me try another one. Okay, just see if I can redeem this. How many of y'all love cats? Let me see your hands. This is gonna be a problem. We're not unified, okay? We are not. You can put your hands down. Don't tell people this. We have a problem. So here's what I'm discovering. I mean, I just gave you two simple things that you could have easily agreed with me on, and you don't agree with me. How can I ask you about politics? How can I ask you about school systems? Come on. We got to agree to be unified, don't we? Here's what you and I know very well. You're like, dude, that's ridiculous. We can't agree on everything, even if there are two people alone in this church. You still wouldn't agree on everything. The reason I say that, as ridiculous as it is, is most of us try to operate our marriages that way. You don't agree with me? You need to, or we're not unified. Part of my role as a husband, watch this, not just to protect you and provide for you, my role as a husband is to convince you that I'm right. And your role, agree with me and fall in line. And you're like, good luck. (laughs) You know what the problem is? The wife says the same thing sometimes. So what happens is we believe unity in the marriage comes when both people agree fully with each other. What happens if you don't agree? Now you don't have this anymore. You got this all the time. And how many marriages have fallen apart because the husband says, I know I'm right. Why won't she agree with me? So here's what we've discovered. You can't find unity in a church by agreement. You can't find unity in a marriage by agreement. But that's the way we often operate. What if there's another way? Another way to find unity in relationship so that your joy in Christ, in purpose, can be complete. There's another way. But I have to warn you, it's not cheap. It's expensive, extraordinarily expensive. It will cost you your pride. And so if I could, let me introduce you to Christ's example of humility. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Verse, chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I think I understand what humility is. It means that I treat other people Better than me because I love them, right? Now, I just want to clarify, make sure I'm interpreting Paul the right way. This says, he says, in humility, count others who vote like me more significant than yourselves. That's what you read, right? Let me see if I can interpret it even more. In humility, count others who vacation like me as more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others who put their kids in the same school system as my kids are in as more significant than yourselves. What I, the problem is, I don't see Paul qualifying the statement. But that's the way we operate. So listen, if you and I agree on most things, we're not only friends, man, but I'll take care of you. I'll serve you. You need something, I'll bring you a meal. But you better not vote differently than me. Now I just won't avoid you. I will see you as less significant than me. You guys never do this, do you? And if my wife, watch this, if my wife does something that's not agreeable to me, you know what? I'm gonna show her my frustration. I'm just I'm just gonna avoid her for a while. 
until she becomes agreeable. Paul says, in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. This is far easier said than done, isn't it? Because I assume this is only true for me, because most of you probably have this figured out, I bet. Listen to what he goes on to say. This is what Jesus says in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Stop. How did Jesus love you? Like, well, he came and he was born as a baby. That, that's not the way that Jesus showed he loved you. Like, he gave me really good teaching that is really wise, and that's really good stuff to know. That's, that's not the way he loved you. He said, well, he gave me a really good set of morals and values for me to live by, and when I live by them, I generally have a better life. That's not how he loved you. Jesus loved you by dying for you. In fact, this is what the Bible says. It says, there is no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. So if that's what love is, according to the heart and mind of God, what I've just read is Jesus tell me to love one another like that. How am I dying for my wife? How am I sacrificing so that she can be benefited? How am I losing so she can win? This is so hard, isn't it? You know why? Because this is not how we were trained. And if you're successful in the world around you, most likely you were trained with a different uh, uh, perspective. This is difficult. Here's why. You were trained in all of your training seminars to not humble yourself and love one another. You were trained to distinguish yourself and separate yourself from one another. Because the only way you get promoted at work is if everybody sees you're better than everyone else. The only way you get to climb the corporate ladder to get the raise, to get the promotion, is by proving that you are better, more significant than everyone else around you. And so here's what Peter says. Watch what he says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again, super, super hard. And the reason, watch this, the reason we avoid humility is not because we disagree with this biblical foundation. It's not because we see it as a Christian value we ought to have. The reason we avoid humility is because we think it's counterproductive to our life goals. I won't be successful if I'm humble. You know why? Because if I'm humble, I've got to set everybody else up. I've got to serve everybody else. That's not going to get me noticed. In fact, it's going to hinder my performance because I'm giving all of myself to everybody else around me. I don't have enough time for me. So I won't get noticed. So the problem is we feel like humility is counterintuitive, counterproductive to all the performance and success that we're looking for in this life. But that actually might be our problem because when I read scripture, I never see humility connected or even associated with performance. Do you? I never see Paul say in humility, work for the 4.0 GPA. In humility, climb the corporate ladder. Listen to what he says. In humility, consider others. Humility has nothing to do with performance, but everything to do with relationships. So, what if you began to operate in humility? Because you know in the corporate world, most of you can say this. Yeah, my boss, my supervisor, 
that guy is so smart. That guy can sell ice to an Eskimo. This dude knows the product better than everybody. And so, of course, he was promoted. But man, is he a jerk. He doesn't care about me. The only reason he ever acknowledges me is so I can do something for him or get him better numbers or help him succeed. What if we flipped it? What if you became so humble to the people around you that in the workplace, they said, oh my goodness, see, our supervisor's retiring or quitting or whatever. Who's gonna take his position? Oh, I know, that guy. Not just because he's a great worker, not just because he's smart and can sell ice to an Eskimo, but because he cares for us. And if that person gets in that role, then we know he'll not just help us succeed, he's gonna care for us. Man, what a breath of fresh air if you had that kind of supervisor, right? What if humility, watch this, humility in relationship was the way that you united everybody around you together. But then again, we're not talking about your job, are we? And we're not talking about corporate America. We're talking about your marriage. What if the way to find unity between you and your spouse was not by forcing them to agree with you, but by humbly sacrificing for them so that they see how much you care about them. And when they see how much you care about them, they won't be so strict on their opinion about stuff you disagree about. So when you say, I wanna go to Florida, and she says, I wanna go to Canada, and well, let's, well, okay, we'll go with it. When she sees you care about her, she's like, let's just go to Florida. See how this works? In humility, count others as more significant than yourself. So here's what I want to do. Listen to Philippians chapter two again, verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. He's not saying that you should become destitute and starve. You gotta feed yourself. You've gotta get sleep. You've gotta take care of yourself. When you wake up in the morning, you need that cup of coffee. I know I do, right? Take care of yourself, go to the gym, exercise, eat right, get to sleep. But this is what he says, but also to the interest of others. Can I rephrase this? Can I change the Bible a little bit? Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of your spouse. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, man, coffee. I say, but wait, what if Heather needs some coffee too? And so before I make my own coffee, it's just a simple thing. I say, would you like some coffee? How about some sugar? No, nah, not sugar, stevia, way healthier. Do you want some cream? No, straight black, here you go. And then I make my own coffee. And when I wake up in the morning and I see that sink full of dishes, I'm like, oh, I don't have time. Heather will take care of it today. What if I say, that'll take me about five minutes so that she doesn't have to. And when we wake up in the morning and starting to get ready, I see that that bed is a whole mess, man. And I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. She doesn't care that it's all messy, except I know the way my wife's brain works. That'll drive her nuts. So what if I take literally one minute to make the bed so that when she walks in the room, there's a little bit less stress in her life. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Do you see what he says? Look to the interest of others. Now keep reading. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ. What that means is the moment you have a relationship with Jesus, you begin to get his mind. Listen to what happens. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. If you got a pen or a highlighter, circle or highlight that phrase, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How did Jesus uh, empty himself? He emptied himself of heaven and hung out in a manger for you. When he grew up and he taught, he emptied himself of his truth and wisdom and gave it to you. When he found you sick with leprosy or dying or even dead, he emptied himself of his power and resources and gave his healing to you. And when he died on the cross, he gave his blood to you. He gave his body to you. He emptied himself of everything he had and gave it to you for your benefit. That's the attitude. We know what this means. You and I need to drop an attitude. You are not in your marriage for you. You are in your marriage for your spouse. Do you know how scary of a thought that is? So what does it look like for me to entrust my life into the wealth, into the care of somebody else? What does it look like for me to trust that my filling up is not a result of what I do for myself, but a result of what they do for me? That's a scary thought. You know why? Because if I surrender myself into the care of somebody else, now I have the opportunity to be neglected or abused or abandoned. Marital problems begin when you no longer empty yourself for the sake of your spouse, but you say, I just need to focus on filling myself up. Jesus emptied himself of everything to fill you up. Can you and I do this? So what does this mean for us? It means that you look at the way life naturally works and you continue to apply that to the marriage relationship. When my wife was pregnant with our kids, do you know what I discovered? This might really surprise you. She wanted to eat more food. Did you guys know this happens? I mean, she had a much bigger appetite than she ever did. And I realized, just because there's this baby growing inside of her, and so I looked it up, and I discovered that pregnant mothers need to consume at least another 300 calories a day for the sake of the baby. Do you know what happens if you don't do this? Your baby siphons off the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients from your body that it needs at your expense. Did you know this? You're a mother. Yes, you did. If you don't do that, your baby will take from your body what it needs anyway. And so by nature, the mother-baby relationship is designed to be emptying of one in order to fill the other up. But once the baby is born, it still doesn't stop. You've got to breastfeed. And I know that it's hard and it's tiring. You're like, man, two hours every night. I can't wait for this season to be done so I can get a full night's sleep. And then my husband can wake up and do the bottle feeding and I can sleep. You know, I know we've all said that, but talk to any mother who say, you know what? I miss those days where, watch this, there's the quiet moments with just me and my baby, the rest of the world was asleep and I thoroughly enjoyed emptying myself for the sake of my baby. 
And even though they're done breastfeeding and bobble feeding, you're still doing this because you make them food. You provide them clothes. You pay for their stuff. The whole relationship between parent and child is built on the nature of humility. And the more humility you show between you and your kids, the more unity you have between them. The more humility you show between you and your spouse, the more unity you have between them. And then you can say what Paul says, my joy is finally complete. And so if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I have a relationship with Jesus and I'm clear on my purpose, but why isn't my joy complete? At least as it relates to the marriage relationship, it might be because there isn't unity. And if that's what you need this morning, I've got a few take-homes that I think might encourage you. I ask myself, how do I work towards unity with humility in my marriage relationship with Heather? And I thought of a few things. Here's the first one, guys. You gotta get over yourself. You have to get over yourself. This marriage is not about you. It's about your spouse. But here's the good thing. The marriage is not about them from their perspective, the marriage is about you. It's a mutual beneficiary. Number two, get attractive. Uh, some of us try to get attractive by buying the right kind of clothes with the right jewelry, hair products. We try to have the right kind of attractiveness by going to the gym, having an in-shape body that's fit. Um, the, the greatest beauty that your spouse is looking for comes from the inside a sense of humility. Because listen, if you don't have humility on the inside, all that outward attractiveness, uh, they'll get over in about a week. Number one, get over yourself. Number two, get attractive. Number three, get to work. Get to work. Maybe for you, it's gonna start by saying, no, when I wake up and make my coffee, first, I'm gonna make them a cup of coffee. And when I wake up and I see that sink full of dishes, I'm not gonna say she'll take care of it today. Say, I'll take five minutes and do it right now. See what I'm saying? Start small, but get to work because I don't care if you have a humble attitude, if it doesn't translate into behavior toward your spouse. What's the point? What's the point? And so with those in mind, I wanna read you one more passage and introduce you to scriptural view of husband and wives. Wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's humility. You know what submission is, ladies? Submission is voluntarily yielding your rights or your will to someone else's wishes or advice as an expression of love for that person? Do you have the humility to submit? Do not let your adorning be external. Your version might say, do not let your beauty be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your beauty, your adorning, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
If you're not feeling the political incorrectness of this passage right now, you're not paying attention to culture. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What would be frightening in a marriage relationship is if you are afraid that your spouse or your husband in particular would abandon you, betray you, neglect you, abuse you. But if there is nothing to fear of that in your marriage, submit. Husbands, you might want to know that in this passage, there is only one verse related to you, five, six verses related to your wives, but this one is far more impactful. Listen carefully. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Do you know what I've noticed? When Heather and I go to restaurants and we see older couples, elderly couples eating together, we notice a couple things. That as a woman ages, and ladies, you can correct me if I'm wrong. As a woman ages, her countenance changes. Her countenance will either increase in brightness, in life, in vitality, all the while her physical body is wearing out. Or her countenance will diminish. Whatever light or life that used to come out of her eyes, it's gone. Her face is more often downcast than lifted up. And even though she might smile, there's no joy behind that smile. And so we look at some of these people we interact with and we just view their countenance and we're thinking, oh man, what happened in their life? And when I read the scripture, here's what I discovered, men. Listen, you have the power to build countenance in your wife or diminish it. What you gonna do? You know how big of a deal this is to God? Read the rest of the sentence with me so that your prayers may not be hindered. Have you ever thought that God ignores your prayers? Have you ever wondered, is God not listening? I'm not saying that he's not able to hear. I'm not saying that he isn't aware of your prayers. What I'm asking is, is it possible that God doesn't want to listen to your prayer. But that's actually not the word, is it? It doesn't translate as ignore. Here's what it translates as, to thwart. Did you ever believe that when you pray, men, God is actively working against your prayer? Why would he ever do this? If you are not treating your wife the right way. If you are mistreating your wife, God says he's not listening. If you're mistreating your wife, God says, I'm working against your prayers. So for some of us who say, you know what? It feels like I pray about this all the time. Why isn't, the God, why isn't God blessing me? Am I praying the wrong way? Am I praying the wrong prayer? Maybe what you can do is evaluate and say, am I mistreating my wife? Because he says, your prayer will be hindered. We ought to watch this. When I married my wife, I married something that was beautiful and precious. That's what I believe theologically about women. They're the closest connection we have to heaven on this earth. Do you guys believe this? And so when God decided to say, Eric, I'm going to entrust Heather to you, 
I need you to be humble before her, serving her, sacrificing for her, so that together you can have unity and together find joy that is complete in your life. But you know, it's interesting. God says, I'm entrusting her to you, which means I've got influence and power over her. And so when I married my wife, this is what I got. You can see this. This is China. I mean, whoever painted this thing on here, man, that is, that is quality painting. But you can see it is bright, it is shiny, it is useful. This is the kind of stuff that you put in cupboards and shut the door so they don't fall and break. This is my wife. And I have a choice of protecting her, building her up so her countenance grows. I have the opportunity of polishing her so she becomes more and more like Jesus Christ. I have the power to protect her from all other things that want to come in and smash her. Or do you know what else I can do? people now walk around in their life and they're like, man, I'm shattered. And you can see vestiges, can't you? Of the kind of person they were. But now the older they get, you're like, you know what? They, their life just looks shattered and broken and, and just real quick, I wanna ask you something. Would you be happy to just kind of hold this in your hand or do you think you'd be afraid you'd get poked and cut and a lot of us have a wives that would feel like, man, they're just cutting all the time. It's sharp to be around them. And here's what scripture just said. In humility, consider others better than yourselves, emptying yourself, loving one another so that you can be unified, humble before each other and complete each other's joy. And so what I'm hoping is that by the time my wife leaves this world, hopefully not for several decades, she will step into heaven, not broken and sharp and jagged and hurtful with countenance downcast, but complete and full and beautiful. Now, ladies, if this is you, I need to encourage you because you can be built back together. If you're like, my husband did this to me, Jesus can put you back together. And so my encouragement and hope and my prayer for you is that if this is you, you will pick up all the broken pieces of your life, bring them to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I need you to bring me back together and make me whole again. And you will see Jesus bring redemption and hope and grace to your life so that you can be whole and full of joy. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to, to know you. As we live in a world that is, it is so broken and that brokenness infiltrates our marriage often and causes shattering. Father, I pray that you will encourage each one of us to, to develop this sense of humility as the Holy Spirit transforms that into us so that our mind and our heart can be more and more like Jesus Christ. So even though we're not yet married right now, or even though we might be divorced or single or widowed, Father, we can still live this life of humility before other people so that your joy can be complete in us. Father, in the marriage relationships in this room and those watching online, I pray that there will be forgiveness. I pray that there will be restoration. But Father, we know it must come from both people. 
And so I pray that both people, the husband and wife, will come together in humility, emptying each other, emptying themselves for the sake of the other so that there can be unity and joy together. Pick up the broken pieces in our marriages and glue them back together with the bond of Jesus Christ that we may find wholeness again. And as we each age, our countenance becomes brighter with more life and more joy. And we pray this in your name, amen.